Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Tia Miller. I'm Courtney Goulet. And I'm Courtney Howell. And we are all literature students at Macquarie University recording this for the Macquarie Student Writers Festival. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about queer young adult fiction. And in particular, we're going to look at two queer young adult novels that were released this year by Australian authors. Henry Hamlet's Heart by Rhiannon Wilde takes place in Henry's last semester of year 12 as he struggles to come to terms with his future, his friendships, and falling in love with his best friend, Len. Perfect on Paper by Sophie Gonzalez follows Darcy, who runs an anonymous relationship advice business at her school, is secretly in love with her best friend, Brooke, and is forced to make a deal with star athlete Alexander Broham to help him win back his ex-girlfriend in order to protect her secrets. I have to be honest, I didn't expect to enjoy these books anywhere near as much as I did. Um, They were so, so sweet, um, very validating, and honestly the perfect thing to help me get through the Sydney lockdown. What did you guys think about them? Yeah, I really enjoyed them too. I binge read them in like a couple of days. Um, But I have to say that my personal favourite was Henry Hamlet's Heart because I loved the Australian nostalgic feel and I just love how cute they were in high school going about um, how to navigate their own feelings through that and it was so Mm. nice. Yeah, um, my favourite part of both books actually was how that they showed what it was like to be young and queer dealing with like love and friendship family drama support um i thought that they were really relatable um and on that note um we will be using the term queer as an umbrella term for everyone in the lgbtqia plus spectrum and also to define non-heterosexual sexual orientations so um i became introduced to the queer YA genre um probably in early high school mostly through online spaces like Tumblr, um, really focused on fandoms like The Supernatural, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the first queer YA novel that I ever read um, was Will Grayson, Will Grayson in about 2013, 2012. Um, And I was thinking about it. It's really not that long ago. Yeah, like I went through basically the same thing. Like that was like peak fan fiction time because most of the queer stories that I read actually came from sites like Tumblr and um, there would be fan fiction about like the characters in books that were really popular at the time like the Divergent mm. series or mm-hmm. and even Harry Potter like there's just a disgusting <laughs> amount of oh, fan fiction on the internet <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> but um, these are actually the first books that I read that was like properly marketed as queer fiction um, mm. like I've read other YA fiction and fantasy where they've had queer relationships but it wasn't like um like a proper uh novel that was dedicated to queer relationships so it's unfortunate that I wasn't really exposed to that kind of stuff at that age um but now you know it's pretty easy to expand your reading readership yeah I feel like we had the exact same experiences (laughs) growing up pretty much um (laughs) I do read a lot of like queer YA queer like romances now but I think that is me trying to fill the void for what I missed out on Mm -hmm. growing up because it was like it was just fan fiction written by other like 14 year olds on the internet because everywhere Mm, you looked like if there was any representation it was like sort of queer baiting like they'll throw it in your face will they won't they get together yeah um Mm. or if you were lucky and you had like a show or a series with 
a queer character in it, they were usually like the very stereotypical gay best friend and they never really had mm. their sort of own story to tell. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, fan fiction was the only way to sort of like, I guess, write the representation you wish you had anywhere else. And it is kind of sad that the only way we were able to see um, queerness represented in media was in like very alternative sources. Yeah, um, particularly when you have to think about um, the beginning of the queer way genre, um, it was really characterized by tragedy, um, stuff like death, suicide, violence, despair. Um, and I think that this was really a reflection of actual queer lives in Western society, but it was also mm-hmm. like social pressure um, for queer experiences to stay hidden or to mm-hmm. look horrible so that actual queer people wouldn't want to be openly queer. Um, there was such a lack of visible gay communities and first person narrators in these early novels because queer people didn't have the agency to voice their own experiences within them. Like the first queer YA novel didn't even come out until 1969. That's crazy to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's really interesting because the genre now um, is making waves. Like it's focused on optimism, happiness and freedom. It's really carving out a space for queer teens to dream, desire, and be accepted. Um, And particularly because YA literature focuses on teaching its readers um, to have the queer YA literature, like Perfect on Paper and Henry Hamlet's Heart, redefine the genre to show how queer teens, sorry, to show queer teens that being queer isn't a tragedy. Yeah, God, absolutely. And I think these books are definitely proof of how far, I guess, like as society we've come, but also how far the genre (laughs) has been able to change as well. Um, Yeah, exactly. It's it's so nice to like know that kids are going to be able to read books like these when they're young and see themselves represented in such a positive way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that is definitely a benefit of showing some of the hardships the queer community Mm. has endured throughout history, right? Like it's educating people and it allows young people to understand um, like the history of their community. It's like a valuable Mm -hmm. part of Mm -hmm. their identity, Mm -hmm. but that can't be the only type of representation young people have access to. Um, Especially because I think there was a study done in 2011 that shows a direct link between media representation of the LGBTQ community and the process of self-acceptance and self-actualization for queer people. So if the only stories young people see is the struggle to be accepted, facing discrimination and enduring violence, a young person's entire life and experience is being reduced to suffering. Young mm. people deserve to see themselves rep- represented positively in literature because they do deserve to find love and acceptance mm-hmm. and happiness. And it's possible. And it's not possible unless you can see that reflected to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that there was none of that kind of literature until 1969. Like, what? Right? Isn't even that long ago. Mm. That's crazy. Like, even though there's still a lot of improvements to be made, we're at a point where that path has been paved for all the queer authors and stories to come safely forward and reach readers from all different walks of life so you know whether you seek validation and representation as a queer person or you know you want to diversify your reading and become more aware of the experiences of people who aren't like you and I think that's definitely a huge win for people who have been denied this kind of representation for literally forever. <laughs> literally uh-huh. forever. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, yeah. 
It's crazy. And I think what you said reminded me of this metaphor that's used a lot to discuss like the role of inclusive fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's that literature can be a mirror and a window. So it kind of means mm-hmm. that representation of fiction can act as a mirror. So it allows readers to see lives and experiences like their very own reflected and validated. But at the same time, it can also act as a window. So readers outside of these communities can look through this window and gain insight into the lives of others and their experiences in a way that fosters like a lot of understanding and empathy, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like literature is so powerful. Um, <laughs> YA novels especially are really vital for teens because they can act like a teacher or an informant about kinds of things like sex, sexuality, um, how to balance love, um, school life, friendships, families. Um, And that's why it's so important that queer teens can access healthy, happy queer stories. Um, Mm -hmm. Like in Henry Hamlet's Heart, um, it shows how Henry is navigating through his struggles of being a teen but also being a queer teen. Um, He has to deal with all of the regular things like his future after high school, how to be a good friend, a good son, a good brother. Um, And on top of that, he is realising his best, or his feelings for his best friend, Len. So I think it's a really realistic depiction of queer teen life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really well put. And like just having access to this sort of fiction, this like young adult fiction, not only can reassure, but it can also help to explore identity and educate. And it's so valuable to a person growing up with these sort of societal pressures. And I have to say, I really love that mirror and a window metaphor because it just shows like how powerful that kind of representation is and how important it is um, for their lives. Yeah, exactly. I think it really just sums up everything I guess we're sort of talking about now. Um, And in terms of what you guys are saying as well I think the great thing about queer YA is it's about that whole experience of growing up not just this queerness as well like Mm. it deals a lot with like family pressures for example and I what I really liked about these two books is they both represented really well what healthy and unhealthy family dynamics can look like Mm. in both cases Mm. families that are super accepting and welcoming um, and really support their kids, but you've also got examples of families that are quite toxic and abusive yeah. in some cases. And it, instead of just you know leaving these kids in these abusive situations, it shows that there's still adults out there that are willing to accept and love and help these kids, and they mm-hmm. don't have to deal mm-hmm. with that alone. And there's always going to be trustworthy adults in their lives and especially trustworthy adults that are queer which I think is amazing because both books have these adults who are fully formed fully actualized queer people that the main characters can look up to and they can get support from they're not alone in this experience it's not this isolating thing where they're you know harboring this great secret and they know nobody's going to understand them they have these really active role models Mm-hmm. yeah you're right and it's just so important to have a healthy support network like that's one of the most important things ever in your life and just like the club that Darcy had at school um you know where she could like they would gather in a group and then they would talk about their feelings and mm-hmm. Darcy felt like she yeah. could express her feelings and her experiences and they wouldn't judge her or I remember she was saying that she was scared to open up but then once she did they were so reaffirming and reassuring yeah 
and that was just so nice to see and even Henry's whole family like you know he didn't have like a club at school that he could just go to but his whole family was just ready to support him in a heartbeat and um you know with his grandma living her best life getting remarried to a woman (laughs) you know just openly being who she is and there was all that excitement and joy and there was so much love in the air and that was just like just shows what support should look like and Mm -hmm. having a book that has all of that in it that you know reassures someone who's growing up who you know they might be unsure of their identity or they're struggling to come to terms with it because they feel like they might have to hide it so it just helps learn like what you said yeah it's amazing and I think what Darcy and Henry both have is like a safe space. They have safe mm-hmm. people they can be around and they mm-hmm. can trust. And yeah. the great thing about this, like these books is if a young person's reading them, they might not have that. This book can kind of, I guess, fill that role for them. Like it acts yeah. in the same way, which is amazing. Um, what I also love about the book, you were talking about like sort of coming to terms with their identity is that Darcy and Henry are in very different stages of their journey. Mm. So in Perfect on Paper, Darcy's, when we begin the book, has already come to terms with her sexuality and she does struggle with internalised biphobia, but the narrative is more about her sort of maturing and growing as a person and shedding like her insecurities, mm. like building better relationships with herself. Whereas in Henry's case, the story is sort of him accepting that he's in love with his best friend and what that means in terms of his identity. Um, And the most amazing thing about that, I think, is he never actually labels what that is because I think that's really realistic, right? Like he's young. He's when it starts, I think he's 17 and he doesn't have to have all the answers straight away Mm -hmm. for him. And I think a lot of people reading this, it's enough just to know that he loves Len and Len loves him. And I think Len puts this the best way in the book. It warms my little heart when he says, you're half (laughs) me. What else is there? so gorgeous (laughs) yeah it's really nice I thought that the fact that both Henry and Lynn didn't label their sexualities um it was it was really empowering because it shows that you don't need to have a label to still have love and friendship and support Mm. um and you really see acceptance from the queer community too um in Henry's case um because his, you know, his grandma is there the whole time sort of encouraging him and nudging him to experience love without getting so trapped up in his identity. Mm. Um, and I also felt like that really um, reflects onto today's society. There's a rising preference in queer communities for young queer people to not have so much pressure on labelling their sexualities and figuring everything out. Like there's such a focus on encouraging people to take time. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I love how they say that, or they just show that you don't have to have it all figured out. Like, you know, Henry is just going about how he feels and he has such a nice support group that encourages him to just go for it. You know, you don't have to do the same thing that everyone else does. You can follow your heart and do what feels right for you. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you can identify as one thing for an amount of time, whatever is comfortable with you. And then, you know, if eventually there comes a point where it doesn't sit right with you, you don't identify like that anymore, then you can change. Like, um, it's just so nice to relate to a character and see yourself Mm. in them. It's such a special feeling and really validating, you know, especially like if I read that in high school, 
you know, with all the pressure and whatnot to have things all sorted out, like, you know, mm-hmm. by the time yeah. you finish your yeah. time, what do you want to do? Who do you want to yeah. be? Like, I don't know. So having a character just openly confess that they don't know what they want and they're confused. Like you can find some sort of solace in that. Even me yeah. at 22, I can relate to that yeah. so hard. <laughs> right, yeah. I was like, Henry, you're 17. Don't worry. <laughs> I still don't know what I'm doing. You're fine, babe. Yeah. yeah. And like, even on the other hand, like having someone who just openly and like unapologetically just shows who they are, you know, they've created this identity for themselves. It could be something that's just completely different from what they've been taught or what they've seen. It's mm. just their own thing. So that can have such a good and positive effect on someone who might be scared to explore identity in general. Yeah. Um, the author of Henry Hamlet's Heart, Rhiannon, Rhiannon Wild, um, wrote an interview and she was saying, um, like, she wrote the book because, you know, when she was growing up, she was questioning her sexuality, but she didn't have any book to turn to. There was no literature about these sorts of things uh, for her to look at and... Um, you know, sort of feel validated and comforted that other people were going through the same thing. Um, and she noted that she had heaps of messages from both queens and adults saying that her book really helped them with self-discovery and self-acceptance. So you can really see, like, mm. it's having such a positive impact, these sorts of queer YA novels, um, helping people, helping people, you know, discover their sexualities and just their identities. Um, and Definitely. yeah, you can really see um, how queer on oh my gosh, how queer <laughs> novels can work to teach and educate not only queer teens but also queer adults. Like they have such mm. a valuable um, teaching, teaching people how to do and be queer, how to access queer spaces, how to you know um, interact with other queer people, how to interact with queerness, or how to deal with confront or like maybe even overcome certain queer specific issues like internalized homophobia labeling um queer history violence all of those kinds of things um so that's why particularly oh yes they can also be particularly useful for queer teens and queer adolescents in heterosexual households where they don't get to learn those sorts of things from older queer people in their lives um and that's why it's really it's so lovely that Perfect on Paper and Henry Hamlet's Heart both have queer older relatives who are already comfortable being queer and are already existing in the community. Yeah, for sure. And I think particularly in Perfect on Paper, the book is almost like a queer advice guide with plot built around it. Yeah. <laughs> like Darcy herself might not be the perfect, like most perfect character and she definitely has to make a lot of mistakes to get to where she ends up. Yeah. But because of her role as sort of this little relationship advice guru, you've got all of this research and these advice letters sort of embedded into the novel. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if, like, the characters might have these older queer relatives to look up to, but if readers don't have that, this book is kind of fulfilling the role of, like, a queer older brother or sister or somebody. It's sort of teaching them really important, like, life lessons, I guess. Like, you know, there's advice yeah. on- communication like coming to terms with your sexuality and especially I think both books do a really good job in showing 
how to have healthy relationships, especially as young people. Um, one concept I really liked from Perfect on Paper was this idea of a couple bubble. Like you and your person mm-hmm. should be each other's safe space. Like you should make each other feel accepted and loved enough that you can go out into the world and feel yeah, like safe and validated, which is such an important thing to teach young kids. Mm, that mm-hmm. was so sweet. <laughs> and like um, what one of you were saying before, um, because like, you know, even though we've come so far in society nowadays, there's still children who grow up in predominantly heteronormative families with those that kind of yeah. family dynamic. Yeah. So it can be difficult to gain access to that sort of, those sort of life lessons and um, that kind of information or even that kind of literature. So like there's that generational prejudice that still runs deep. So then mm. it's just so hard for certain kids to reach out and learn about this sort of stuff. So having these books available and having more of them can introduce queerness to someone like that who yeah. maybe they've never encountered it or maybe they feel like they might align with the LGBTQ plus community, but they just have no idea how to go about it. Or Mm. even someone who doesn't align, but they want to be a good support system to someone that they care about who does identify as a part of that community. And you guys put it so well, like that relationship advice from Darcy, it really comes from a, a place of like, so much care and love and it's not judgmental Mm. at all it's so nice to hear advice that isn't judgmental it's just like you know straightforward and they just really care and it's such a nice um kind of like a blueprint for young readers who want to see Mm. what a healthy relationship is and like explore that yeah did you guys feel attacked by some of that advice too because yeah, yeah. like attachment style yeah the attachment style insecurities oh i'm like okay damn darcy you got me like okay, i honestly I'm anxious. <laughs> yeah it's crazy like i learned things about my own like way of relating to people and my own mm-hmm. relationships that's helped me now and that's not something mm-hmm. i was expecting to get from a you know a ya yeah. fiction about like <laughs> yeah. an, an, like it's an enemies to lovers trope and i'm here learning yeah. <laughs> Love yeah, that. I was writing down notes the whole time. I was like, she's got so many good points. Yeah. Um, and I think something that was really like, it was also really nice in Perfect on Paper um, in particular, um, the fact that queerness was really casual. Um, mm. These relationships, mm-hmm. they didn't, like Darcy's advice column, you didn't necessarily have to specify, you know, the sexuality of you or your partner in the relationship. It was just you know just being in love connecting with other people I really love that yeah I think that's so special and it it takes so little to represent people authentically but it can mean so much even yeah Darcy's sister Ainsley right like she's Mm -hmm. a trans character and it's never like a negative thing there's never any problems that arise yeah and it's just the tiniest little mentions, like the fact that she sometimes makes her own clothes because she wants things to fit properly and there's not a huge market for that. Or she forgot her meds at one house and had to go back and get them. And it's just mm. these tiny little mentions that can really help people relate to these stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so simple. Um, like it's so easy yeah. to do. Mm-hmm, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm not, like, um, oh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say... Um, well, like, I feel like myself personally, I really take it for granted just 
people accepting queerness as something just normal. Um, yeah. Probably because of, you know, how easy it is to access online queer communities. Um, but I really have to put myself in the mind space, you know, the first queer YA novel was released in 1969. So that's really not that far away. So it's still groundbreaking yeah. and really heartwarming to have such, you know, a casual, normal depiction of like queer existence. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But like, interestingly enough, though, I was looking at all the reviews for the books on Goodreads, but um, especially for Perfect mm. on Paper, a lot mm. of people agree with us. Like, you know, the majority of people, it's nice, you know, the majority of people agree with us, but there's like a couple of interesting negative reviews where they mm. were saying that, you know, you can't call it a queer novel if it's a heterosexual relationship in the end. And I thought mm. that was Hmm. So it was quite interesting hmm. and it was, yeah, it was quite funny because the author Sophie Gonzalez she claps back at them and explains that it's not actually a straight relationship because you know Darcy's bisexual and she even yeah, like exactly. yeah she even brings that into a conversation that Darcy has with a friend where um, <clears throat> her friend was saying like you know a heterosexual relationship would have its pros you know you don't have to go through all that homophobic homophobic bs and then you know darcy's like well it wouldn't be a heterosexual relationship because i'm not straight so mm-hmm. the fact yeah. that yeah. she ends up with brom in the end i like how it doesn't devaluate her queer identity and you know she's not encouraged to pick a side because biracial is something that you don't i feel like not many queer um books in the past or queer media in general pick up on biracial because of yeah the case, yeah you know, yeah you're either gay or you're not or like it's a stepping stone <laughs> yeah. to being yeah. gay you know it's so it's, it's definitely nice to, a very yeah it's yeah. like a very forgotten i mean it's in the acronym but people kind of forget it's there i think yeah it's mm, right the there people. That, yeah god damn it's the second one two <laughs> it's in there um yeah and I think perfect on paper does a really good job of exploring that sort of double-edged discrimination that bisexual people can face where you're either too gay or you're not gay enough Mm. and it's this really tricky limbo where you kind of don't fit properly on either side of things um and yeah I think there's a quote that I thought was really great where Darcy's in her support group and she says um, and maybe I don't know what it's like to be gay or lesbian, but I do know that some people will never understand what it's like to be queer and to blush every time you join in on a conversation about it because you feel like you're treading on people's toes because when they say queer, they don't mean you. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's just so, such a powerful yeah. way to have this conversation and to have a character like Darcy who is so, like she's surrounded by all these amazing queer people and she's yeah. so happy within herself, but, to still have this internalized fear that if she's dating a man, then she's losing like an important part of herself. Like that's such an important conversation to bring up. And I know that would have been so impactful. Like when I was younger, like if I read something like this, this would yeah. be a game changer. Mm. Yeah. Um, like it was really nice to see, um, Darcy mentioned um, that previously her father had had an issue with understanding her bisexuality because he would say, like, if she had a straight crust, then she would be straight, and if she had a gay crust, then she would be gay. Um, But, like, in the same paragraph, she mentions how he's overcome that. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was so Mm -hmm. powerful. Like, 
you know, maybe not intentionally, but he was being biphobic and participating in bio erasure. Um, yeah. But in the same breath, you know, he overcame that. Um, so it was really nice to see such like normalization of, of an adult learning and coming to accept bisexuality. Like he was growing. Um, mm. And like on the same vein, um, Bron was never threatened by her sexuality. Um, like his being in a relationship with her didn't diminish her queerness. Um, mm. So to have, to have Bron and Darcy end up in their, you know, their relationship together where they got to have their couple bubble, um, I thought it was really moving and powerful, a really good statement against bioerasure for them to end up happy together. Yeah, and just going off this idea of happy endings as well, like it's just so nice and refreshing to have both of these books end with such self-actualized happy characters, Mm. especially Mm -hmm. because historically queer romance stories actually had to have tragic endings or they would have been found to be violating the law by promoting homosexuality. So a lot of queer novels in history, yeah, would end up with one (laughs) of the same-sex lovers dying or the other realising they were never actually Mm. gay running back into the arms of their heterosexual love and things like that. Um, yikes. Big yikes, yeah. So there was a time, <laughs> like, in this time, the queer community was starved for representation and, like, homosexuality was illegal. So these books sort of became a source of refuge for queer readers and they would just kind of have to ignore the endings as, like, I guess, a nece- like a necessary evil required mm-hmm. to have any sort of representations in fiction. And I guess that's kind of the same idea of fan fiction, right? Like you, you kind of just pretend the ending didn't happen the way it did so you can yeah. feel happy. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, yeah, and this is called the burial gaze trope. And the problem is this sort of idea is still lingered in a lot of media today. You have a lot of stories, even now where you've got queer romances that end in tragedy or they don't get mm-hmm. to you know, yeah. find happiness together. And despite like all of the progress made, you know, but this is what I think makes these two books so great is not only do they get happy endings, they're also like, it's an act of resistance. Like they're allowing, Mm -hmm. they're allowing these characters to to find the happiness that had been denied to the community for so long. Yes. I really think that the queer happy ending is a revolution in itself. Yes. Um, we're overcoming and moving past the history of the tragedy of queer life. Um, in Henry Hamlet's heart, when Henry's bisexual grandmother gets married um, to a woman, this was really, for me, it was sort of like the ultimate um, consolidation of like queer acceptance. Um, yeah. And because it's the ultimate, like it's as far as you can go in terms of, being in love, um, I thought it was really lovely. They found yeah. power. Um, it was so lovely. They found power, love, and happiness, you know, in getting married um, and in finding their happy ending. Yeah, and so late in life too. And it didn't... Exactly. It didn't dismiss the other part of her life either. Like the mm-hmm. grandmother is... I think it's like literally the first page of the book, right? She says she's yeah. responsible for her family and it's not an issue. Yeah. She's not... It's not this story where she's been unhappily married to a man for years and years and it took his mm. death for her to finally be her true self like both yeah, she had she two great loves too. in her life yeah and yeah. she's got a whole family and community around her and I think they even get married in a church yeah like, they do actually yeah like how lovely is that like to see 
like you know young people is one thing but to see this old little old you know queer yeah. couple getting married it's like yeah it just makes <laughs> so you feel wholesome. so good hmm. it's crazy mm-hmm. that like even though that barrier gaze trope was you know introduced at like the end of the like 19th centuries it's it still lingers on like yeah I even feel like mm. I felt a bit guilty of it because I began to question in Henry Hamlet's heart you know when Len went off the grid and he just wouldn't talk to anyone yeah. yes. I was really anxious about it I was like oh no is this going where I think mm-hmm. it's going Me too. but then you know yeah and like especially when he was um explaining to Henry like you know it's better off if we don't explore this because it's just easier and we'll be safer and we'll be safe from judgment and you don't have to go through all that pain that, um, you know, that is associated with being queer, but I'm so glad that they had their happy ending. And it's so reassuring to have that for people who have been denied it for so long and Mm -hmm. seeing yourself in like a fluffy, wholesome, lighthearted romance where, you know, you get the boy, you get the girl, you get whoever you want. That's that's just so nice. Yeah, it's so nice. And I, I think there's a part in Harry Hamlet's heart where Len kind of, the book gets a little meta because he actually says like, you know, this doesn't end happily for people like us in the books. We don't get the happy yeah. endings. And Rhiannon Wilde is taking her experience with the gen- genre and the history of the genre. And she's saying, no, actually, I've decided it can end happy because we deserve it <laughs> to end happily. And I'm going to be the one who writes it. it's really cool to see this new rise in positive queer stories and I think that is a deliberate attempt for authors of the genre to give their readers the endings that probably they didn't have growing up Mm -hmm. and you know it's like a community making things better for the next generation and I think that's just such a beautiful beautiful sentiment Mm, yeah absolutely and you know queer YA fiction and these books in particular they're just so important for young people and especially young people who may be queer or are struggling to come to terms with their identity. Mm. And Mm -hmm. both books, Perfect on Paper and Henry Hamlet's Heart, they're just really heartwarming queer romance stories at at their core. So I think we're going to end off this episode with a quote from Perfect on Paper that we all collectively agreed Mm -hmm. sums up how important the Mm -hmm. queer YA genre is and what these sorts of books can help to achieve. For the first time, the very, very first time, I really believed them, that my relationship status did not change me, and that even if other people didn't agree, every single person in this room had my back without hesitation. I was with them, and they were with me, and we were with each other. A community within a community within a community. No questions asked. No proof needed. No valid form of identification required. We just belonged because we belonged. Thanks so much for listening.